Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Good morning. Welcome to the Rhodes Church. My name is Chris. All of you in the auditorium and all of you watching online. And I do want to give a big shout out to Deborah, um, which is in the hospital. She is battling leukemia right now. And we just want to say keep battling keep fighting. We're praying for you, and we love you uh, very much. So uh, again, my name is Chris, and we are just <clears throat> honored. It's a privilege and honor to be uh, here with you today. And Pastor Chad and, and his family are out of town this weekend, and uh, I think it's a great thing that, that it's so healthy for leaders and pastors to sometimes get away and, and just get refreshed, get poured back into and, and allow God to give fresh vision and fresh direction and things like that. So we just want to honor that and give value to that as well. And uh, if this is your first time here, we want to welcome you. Sorry, so sorry that you came to hear me, but Pastor Chad will be back, I guarantee you. And um, uh, but anyways, uh, so I just want to start today. I, I just, I love to laugh. I think that laughter is great medicine. And I think that it is great for the heart. It's great for the soul. Um, so I just wanted to share something with you this morning. A couple of things, if you like to laugh. If you don't like to laugh, just go ahead and put your fingers right there in your ear real quick. Uh, it says here that, <clears throat> this is a couple of jokes I found. It says, the preacher said to his congregation, my phone's acting up. A preacher said to his congregation, I want everyone to stand up who wants to go to heaven. Everyone stood up except for one old man in the front. So he said, I said, I want everyone to stand up who wants to go to heaven. The old man in the front row remained seated. Finally, the preacher said again, Brother Williams. Is there any Brother Williams on the front row? No. Okay. I said, everyone who wants to go to heaven, stand up. And the old man said, oh, I'm so sorry. I thought you were getting a group together to go now. There was a new pastor that had just arrived in town and, as he, as, and was only into his third week of serving a church when he received a call from the funeral director asking him if he could hold a graveside service at a small country cemetery. Because the deceased had no friends or family, the family director knew, knew it would just be the pastor and the funeral director. Because of another funeral scheduled, for the same day, the funeral director told the pastor they would have to meet at the gravesite. He shared the driving directions so long. The pastor got started to the cemetery early enough, which was a ways out of town. The pastor got lost along the way. He stopped for directions, got straightened out, arrived at the burial site. He was about 30 minutes late. Obviously, this was in the days before cell phones. Because he was late, he noticed that the funeral director and the hearse had already left. He saw the grave digger sitting under a tree, eating lunch. He spotted the newly dug grave and made his way over. He saw the vault, which was in place. He opened the book of worship and began the offering of prayers and scriptures, scripture readings. He briefly preached about the love of God. And about 15 minutes, after about 15 minutes, he finished. With a final silent prayer by the tree, he seen the, peop the, the men, and they waved. he left, and they waved back. 
Then he heard one of them say, I've been digging septic tanks for 30 years. That's the first time I've ever saw anyone pray or preach for them. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. Woo! Yeah, people that are just crazy about God's Word and excited about what He wants to share. And uh, we're going to read, we're going to jump right into Nehemiah chapter 8. The title of my message today is called Making Joy Stick. Making Joy Stick. How many knows that joy is a part of the Christian life? How many would agree that it is a part of, should be a part of our Christian belief and our Christian values? How many would believe today or agree that God cares about how much joy you have in your life? He really does. He cares about the joy that he ha you have in your life. So the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 8 this morning. It says, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. Let me get my place here. They read, they read distinctly in the book, from the book, in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Basically, what we have here is Nehemiah. If you know anything about Nehemiah, Nehemiah, the situation was concerning Nehemiah building a wall around the city to keep the wall, keep the city protected. All right, the people had been in a place of exile for a certain amount of years, and now these people are coming back. And they're going to build this wall around this city where the wall has been completed. Listen, I believe that this is probably one of the greatest, uh, greatest revivals that would happen in, in the time of the Bible. Because after the book of, uh, uh, the book, yeah, chapter 7, we would see that there was a place of repentance. There was a place of, of consecration to the Lord and all these things. But before that time, before that, they, they, had read, they would read the book of the law and they would stand. And I'm just trying to get this picture here. It's almost like a church service. And all these people had been brought from a place of captivity, from a place of exile. Now they've been set free. God has a redemptive plan for his people. God is continuing to bring a redemptive plan to your life and my life. Okay? So what he does is, is they, they're standing there and they're... And Nehemiah, he's just been appointed to make this wall. And, and he's the governor. And, and they're getting ready to preach this big message, and they're going to get out the scroll, and they're going to read the book of the law, and they begin to read the book of the law, and here's all the, the priests. They're actually there, and they're actually helping the people understand it. We have the people all the way from children all the way up to grown-ups, people that probably never even heard the law before are standing there in the midst. And listen to this. They, can you imagine this church service listening to the law from morning until night? that they were reading the law, and people begin to weep. They begin to weep over the law. So here's what it says, that, that as they were teaching the law, the Bible says here in verse, verse 9, it says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest, the scribe and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn. Do not weep. The Bible says that for all the people begin to weep. They wept when they heard the words of the law. 
They, they heard the words of the law. They begin to weep. Why do they begin to weep? I believe that because they, because they begin to hear the standards of God. They begin to hear the law of God because the law of God was, they, some of them had never heard it before. They begin to weep over the word of God. I believe that if there's something that we need to weep over and mourn over, that it's the word of God. Because the word of God is nourishment to our life. But they tell them on this time, don't weep, don't mourn because this is a time of celebration. This is a time of celebration. So they tell them that this day is holy. It's to the Lord. They begin to weep. In verse 10, he makes a powerful statement. He said to them, go your way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. Now, I want to tell you today that that is a mandate from God right there. I mean, you, did you see it? He said, eat the sweet. Drink the sweet. Eat the fat. He said, the no-bake cookies, the, the, the German chocolate cake, I'm just throwing out a few things that I like, banana pudding, all these things. He says, eat it, take it. This is a day of celebration, all right? But he didn't say that. He wasn't meaning that. And he says, and send the portions to those from whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to the Lord. And then he goes on and he says, do not sorrow. Look at your neighbor. Tell him, don't sorrow. For the joy of of the Lord is your strength. Or maybe I should say, the joy of your finances. The joy of your marriage. The joy of your faith. The joy of your job. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And see, I believe that today that's the problem. I believe that what we've done is, have you ever like been in a place of your life where you've actually lost something or maybe misplaced something for Something of great value. How many's ever lost your keys? <laughs> yeah? You ever lost your phone or misplaced your phone or maybe misplaced your wallet or something? Something of great value. Something that you valued a lot that you, you just misplaced it. It was gone. It was gone for a certain season. How many has ever lost something but then you actually found it where you left it? How many's ever blamed the rest of your family? Let's just get the cat out of the bag. You, you blamed your whole family because you thought that they took your keys. And the reality of it was is the keys were in the same place where you left them. Like not too long ago, I was looking for something, and I, and I, I was trying to find it, and I would misplaced it. And my wife was like, I'm mad. I went through every person in my house. Sorry, my wife went to my kids. I said, it's got to be here. It's got to be here. Who moved, my, who moved it? Who moved it? Who moved it? Come to find out it was in the same place where I left it at. But you know, sometimes you just, you look there, but you just don't see it for some reason. So I'm walking out of the house and my wife's like, did you find what you're looking for? Where did you find it? And I'm like, I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. I won't say anything. That just seems to happen in my life a lot. I wonder if sometimes, it's amazing sometimes how sometimes we can lose something so precious in our life. The Bible teaches us in first, or it's in Galatians chapter 5, that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Love, joy. And I just want to focus on, there's many, many fruits there that God wants us to have. But I believe that if we lose our joy, we lose our strength. Because our strength to survive is no longer attached. See, I believe that, and this is what I believe. I believe, as God was ministering to my heart, that, that my joy, the joy that I have in my life is not based 
and validated by my feelings or my emotions. I know that Webster's Dictionary defines joy as being an emotion or a feeling, but in my dictionary, it's not an emotion or a feeling. In my dictionary, that it is an attitude. Because an attitude is a place of position. You see what I'm saying? It's a stance. It's a viewpoint. It's a point of view. You don't, you don't view something. You, you view something of, of great value in your life, not just on a feeling. Because sometimes we will look. Because here's what we do. We, we, and I know, and I do the same thing. I'm looking for happiness, something external to bring, uh, to bring a, an internal validation. I'm, I'm looking for something external to bring happiness to my life. Sometimes, listen, there's people, that's why there's people that are addicted to drugs, alcohol, and all kinds of other sin and pornography and all these things. You know why? Because they're looking for something else, something to make them happy and satisfy an internal result. You see what I'm saying? And I was, and all the years that I've been in law enforcement, I have seen an incredible amount, probably nothing like maybe what you've seen, but I have seen, people, listen, people don't call you. They don't call law enforcement. They don't call 911 when they're having a good day. They don't say, 911, what's your emergency? They don't say, yeah, yeah, I just want to let you know that, hey, I'm getting along with my wife, and my kids are doing well, my finances are well, everything's going great. It doesn't happen. People call you because they're having a bad day. In the last few weeks, I was able to, God clearly removed the scales from my eyes and showed me something in his word again to clarify what he's saying about the joy of his, uh, the joy in him. I was sitting across the table from a couple of individuals, and I won't disclose their identity because it's not relevant, but I was sitting across the table, and I was sharing with them about what was their situation and what they were there for and all these things. And then, at the end of the conversation, I always like to ask, hey, off the record, I just want to ask you how you're doing. Like, I want to ask you, like, what is your, what is your vision for your life? What is your direction? Where do you, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I know you're here, you're incarcerated, but what do you see yourself? And I, and I was sitting there, and this one, this one boy, he, he's a man, but he was homeless, and he didn't have a place to live, and he'd been running, and, and he had warrants for his arrest, and he was sitting there, and he said, Chris, he said, look at me, man. Look at my arms. Look at these things. And he had all these track marks where he'd been shooting and he said I'm an addict man I'm an addict I didn't see him as an addict he seen himself as that because he used things to define who he wasn't and who God did not design him to be sometimes we will grasp for other things to define the joy in our life that boy was looking for things to bring strength to be able to overcome his addiction but in, he, was, he didn't understand that, that when in the Bible says here that the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's what I didn't tell him because it didn't come to me then. But now I know that that's exactly what he was missing in his life. The joy of knowing God in his life. The joy. You see, fruit doesn't develop overnight. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Fruit doesn't develop overnight. It's something that we have, to, we have to put into. We have to exercise. You can't buy a gym membership and never go through the threshold of the door and expect results. Come on. I wish we could. 
I wish we could. I wish that I could. I wish that, I wish that it would be one of those deals where I could just, I received Jesus in my life. I have these things dwelling in me, but now I have to develop that joy. I have joy in my life. You see, sometimes Christians, man, we are some of the most unjoyful people in the world. I'm just being honest. Like we, we sometimes, and we need to be the ones that are the most joyful to tell the people about who he is in our life. Like we can be so unjoyful sometimes. And, and the Bible teaches us that, that the joy is our strength. Strength to do what? Strength to endure. Strength to overcome. Strength to go through what? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what it is. But to give you strength. That's what God wants to do. He's just saying, I want you to have joy. I think that there's one obstacle, probably many obstacles in our way, but one that God showed me in my life is I don't think that sometimes it's a physical obstacle in our life. I think it's sometimes a feeling or an emotional obstacle. Pastor's been talking about the truth, and it was a powerful series on the Holy Spirit and the agent of truth, how he brings truth to our life. But I think it's a feeling, I think it's sometimes an emotional, an emotional thing. But here's what I think. James tells us in the book, the first chapter, it says to count it all joy. He says count it all joy. The word count actually means to consider something. I'm considering, count it all joy. How much joy? All joy. Count it all joy whenever you fall into various trials. The word fall in Greek actually means surrounded so in other words, you're in a situation and you're looking and you're surrounded. See, they haven't overtaken you. They've only surrounded you. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by him. <laughs> it may look like everything hell's coming in on me. It may look like my marriage is falling apart. It may look like my finance. It may look like it because I got a bad report. It may look like it. But the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ is much greater than what we are facing. When the enemy tries to remind us of our past, we remind him of our, his future. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants, to, he wants us to indulge into the trials whenever we need to indulge into the joy that it takes to endure the trial. It's the joy of the Lord that gives us strength. Daniel, it's the joy of the Lord that gives you strength. It's his joy that we know that we can't manufacture something like God can, obviously, but we can't manufacture joy in our life. It has to be manufactured from him. Once we understand that he's the manufacturer of joy, then we place joy in our life. No matter what I'm surrounded with, no matter what I'm facing, no matter what trial is around me, then I know that I'm standing in the middle of strength. If I counted all joy in my life, I don't want to fall into these things. But he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces something. There's a production process that happens whenever you go through trials. Listen, a trial will either grind you, it'll grind your joy, or it'll also grow your joy. Two things that a trial will do. It'll crush you. It'll grind you. It'll make just your whole life. Because sometimes... And sometimes that's what we need in our life, to be crushed sometimes to a place to where the only thing that we are dependent on is no more on ourselves or what we can get external, but what we can get from the internal process of God. That's the process of joy. 
because trials, they try to grind us and they will grind us. Our marriage, I can tell you right now that, that sometimes in our marriages, the joy of just your spouse sometimes. Listen, I know there's times that I just walk in the door and I know, and you're, you're, you know, you're coming home, you're like, yeah, this has been the best day ever. And you walk in the house and you can just feel the friction. And it's not like a bad friction, but you know, like, like my wife is home all the time, so I understand the friction that the kids may cause a little bit. Maybe I don't understand. She says I don't. But anyways, <laughs> I, <laughs> but you understand that there's, there can be friction there, and sometimes you just want to walk. What I do, I don't even say a word. I just walk right on because I don't want somebody else to steal my joy. But sometimes we have to be joyful in all circumstances. No matter if somebody else is unjoyful, if our spouse is unjoyful, that doesn't give us a right to be unjoyful. Because our joy may be able to produce or develop something else in their life that they might have misplaced. You ever been around somebody that's just, I mean, I call them joy suckers. They just, you know, I'm just telling you, some people can just suck the joy right out of things. Like you're all joyful and yeah, this is great. And they just suck it right out. That's why we got to be careful with the environments that we put ourselves into as well. Because if you put yourself in an unhealthy environment, in an unhappy environment, if you put yourself, if you're surrounded by people that are still trying to find their joy, don't expect to try to find your own joy in a place that somebody else is trying to discover their own. We can't go sit at a bar somewhere and expect that people are just, they're just living life and they're just thinking, man, I'm ready to, I'm going to find that perfect one right here. I'm believing. I've been sitting here for 10 years at the bar stool in the same place. And I'm expecting that one to come. We can't expect to sit right next and find that same one for our life to bring that joy and happiness. It's not going to happen. That's why he says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's my strength. It's how I get my internal strength. It's how I go through the process of trials. It's how when things are being, when, when, thing, when there's friction everywhere around me, when everybody else, when bankruptcy happens, when everything else falls, in, falls apart, bad reports, all these things, I'm still standing in the middle of joy. I'm counting it all joy, not for my situation. I'm counting it all joy for where I'm going. Because I know that the testing of my faith produces something. There's a production process that begins to start. God's producing in me patience. Everybody likes that nice word, patience. Sometimes God might be trying to show us something through the process. You see, Paul, actually before we get to Paul, John chapter 15 is probably one of my greatest favorite passage of scripture because it's helped me grow as a person, as an individual so much. When Jesus talks about he's the vine and we're the branch and we can't do anything apart from him. We can't do anything. We can't speak. We don't know how to make a marriage work. We don't know how to make kids mind. We don't know how to do anything. I'm just telling you, John 15, he's the vine, we're the branch. You can't do anything apart from me. If you try to look for external resources to bring an internal validation of happiness, it's never going to happen. You're never going to be happy. You're always going to be searching. But he says, abide in me. 
Jesus gives us very clear that if you want happy joy in your life to a dimension that God wants to give it, then you have to abide in him. That's the first thing. Abide in him. And he says, I will abide in you. He gives us a choice. He gives us a choice. The choice is ours. The choice is ours. You know, Pepsi used to have this thing that said, it's, Pepsi is a choice of a new generation. This is the joy, cho- choice of a new generation. He said, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. We want to bear fruit. Joy is a fruit, right? We all know that joy is a fruit. Did you know that we will actually know people by their fruit? The fruit that they bear? The fruit that they display? The fruit that they just show in their behavior and all these things? We will know it, but we won't know it if our fruit is sour itself. <laughs> if we have unripened fruit ourselves, we'll never be able to see it because we're in the same category. That's what happens. He says, we cannot bear fruit of itself unless we abide in the vine, and neither can you unless you abide in me. He goes on. Verse 5, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. How much fruit? Much. Much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. These things I have spoken to you. Why did he speak to me about abiding in him? Why did he tell me that I cannot do anything without him? Because he wants to firm it up by saying these words, these things I have spoken to you, to who? To you and me, that my joy, whose joy? His joy. When we understand it's his joy first and then our joy then we'll be able to reproduce what he's given us. He says, I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. Where does he want his joy to remain? In us. He wants his joy to remain in me. That way, when it remains in me, then that means that no matter what comes against me, is not going to be able to get in me to be able to remove what God has placed inside of me. And he says that the joy remain in you and that your joy may be full. That's what God wants. His redemptive plan is for us to be full of joy. The word full actually means to be filled out. He wants us to be filled out. That's what he wants. He says so that your joy may be full. There's a transfer. He transfers his joy We receive his joy into our life, and then he transfers it into the fullness and makes our lives complete. But then there's also that process where we have to work. We have to to keep our joy alive in our lives. We We have to keep nourishing it. We have to keep, that's why he says, abide in me, keep abiding in me. The first thing he says, the first thing, point I want to give you is, I think that this is a key element to each one of us having a fruitful life of joy and not just an event type of joy, a circumstantial type, type of joy. See, what we've done in culture, think about this. You have a, everybody, who, how many here like to play games? Like, like, I'm talking about like baseball, softball, whatever. How many knows that typically there's always a loser, right? <laughs> I mean, that's just part of the game. That's the reason you don't like to play right there. All right. <laughs> that's why I do a lot of forfeiting. That way I don't have to worry about it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so anyways, you got this, this game, and the reality of it is, is somebody's going to lose. Guess what happens? Everybody's all prepared. We're pumped. We're ready. We're excited. We have worked so hard for this national championship. And guess what? Somebody, we got beat by a buzzer beater. And guess what happens? They're all joyful. And then the very next moment, an event 
one event changed their motive of their joy. One event in our life changes it just like that. How do we keep consistency in our life? The first thing is we have to have complacency, or not complacency, contentment. we got to be content in God. Because I believe here's what Paul, the Apostle Paul says, I've been beaten with rods three times. I've been shipwrecked. My life has been turned upside down. Probably no, no other person in the Bible went through more stuff than, other than Jesus Christ, than Paul. So I think that if Paul said that he learned some things, then I believe that we need to be attentive to what Paul says. He said, I know what it is to be in want. I know what it is to have roast beef, and I know what it is to have nothing. <laughs> he says, I'm content. Here's what he says, I'm content. There's contentment. See, I believe Paul had it. He had a degree, man. He went to school. He said, I have learned the secret. There was a, there's a secret. There's a little secret that God wants to share with us, a secret about learning the process of joy. And the secret that he learned, he said, I went to school like his pupil. I went to school. And the secret of what I've learned is that I can do all things through my wife who gives me no. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the truth that he learned. He said, I have learned, learned. The key word in there is learned. I have understood. You see, you get, sometimes you got to go through some stuff before you can help somebody else learn, learn what they might be going through. How, see, I've learned the secret. There's a secret to it. The secret is, is being content in my relationship with him and then once I'm content in my relationship with him, I can get strength in my life. No matter what place I'm in, Paul went through all kinds of seasons. He went through the two seasons, the ups and the downs. I know what it is to have much. I know what it has, is to have none. It's easy to be joyful and be happy. Let's just say it right now. It's easy to be happy when everything's going good. It's easy. It's easy to rejoice and have cheerfulness in our life. But it's not very easy whenever everything is just falling apart in our life. Paul said, I know what it is. I've been there, but I've learned because I can do all things through Christ. Through who? Through Christ. Through. It's a process. Through Christ. Everything has to channel through him. You can't go around him to get some kind of joy that's going to last and stick in your life. If you want to make it stick, it's going to have to go through him. We want it. We, we live in a microwave popular, or just a, a culture where we want it just instantly, just like that. But through Christ, strength may not come until we're actually through, 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 boom, we're there. It takes that abiding part. It takes that, that part where we're just, we may be in the grind. We may be, there may be trials around us, but we're just bam, 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 through, 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 through Christ, through him. That's the part of abiding, remaining, not being pulled away taking up residence and saying, no devil, not on my watch. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen today. The second thing is, is consistency. I believe that we have to have consistency in our lives. Consistency. We have to be consistent. We can't just, we have to, it has to be the same thing over and over. We can't do it like one week and say, well, uh, we'll just, we'll, I'll get back to it. No, it has to be consistent. See, I didn't, I didn't find, there was, there was things when I, when I first saw my wife, if I was to ask a question, when was the first time that you loved your spouse? That would be a difficult question to answer. 
because it's consistency. I don't know when the first time I loved her, but I know that it's just been a consistent, consistent process. I've just loved her consistently, consistently, consistently. I've loved Jesus consistently, consistently. No matter if it doesn't look, look good, no matter if it doesn't look right, I've loved him consistently. I've just been very consistent, very faithful. I've been in the secret place every morning. I've been reading my Bible. I've been putting on worship music. I've been on the dream team. I've been serving. I've been in connect groups. I've been doing it. I've been doing it. Nothing's happening. I keep doing it. I keep consistency in my life. God is a consistent God. He's consistent all the way from the first of Genesis all the way to Revelation. He is consistent. The, second, the last thing is commitment. Once you have contentment in your life, consistency in your life, commitment. You got to commit to it. You got to keep committing. There's times whenever you don't want to commit. There's a lot of times where I don't want to commit. I'm just being real and being honest. There's a lot of times when things are not going well, even at my, ho- my house where we're just, there's a lot of friction. There's a lot of things happening. A lot of things going on in the workplace. I got to keep committing. I'm committing to my relationship. I'm not committing to a relationship with my wife based on certain situations. I'm committing because I love her. I'm committing to Jesus, not for what he's done for me, but because of who he is. Because I know that if I know who he is, then I know that he's faithful. He's faithful. Commitment. Commitment. You don't get the gym membership. You don't get the results until you commit. I'm committing to three days a week. I'm committing to five days a week. When you want to work a muscle. See, I think joy is like working a muscle part. I love to to think about, uh, one of the things I like to do is I like to research how to work out. That's just, I know I'm, I'm crazy. I know I am. But I like to know like different parts. And one of the things I'm studying right now is how when you break down the muscle fibers of a specific muscle is whenever the muscle is going to grow. So I go into the gym thinking I'm going to work my joy until my joy breaks. And then that's when I'm going to get the most growth. I'm going to work my biceps until they're crushed. And that's when I'm going to get the most growth. That's when growth happens. Trials can grow your joy. They might grind you. You might be ground ground a little bit, but it's only for a season, and it's only for his benefit that you'll depend on him. Jesus says one last verse, and I don't have it pulled up here, but I'm going to paraphrase it. He says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus, when he went to the cross, he set joy before him. You know what the joy of the Lord was? You know what the joy he had was? That you were his prized possession. That the joy that was set before him, he kept the joy in front of him. It wasn't lost somewhere back here. It wasn't misplaced somewhere. He kept the joy in front of him. That's why he endured the cross. He despised the shame of the cross. And he kept the joy in front of him. 
Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.